you join me in prayer as we enter into the time sharing? Father, as we come to open your, your word and to, to look at what you have for us today, we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would minister to us, strengthen our walk with you, strengthen our, strengthen our desire, Lord, to desire you and to want you more. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Just a second here, just clearing out a few things. This morning's scripture is uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, and uh, Paul writing, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. The uh, picture of the gifts the, that, that we're going to be looking at here is uh, the first one that's listed here in the, the book of uh, Romans in chapter 12 is that of prophecy, and we'll be looking at these. Uh, but to get a full picture of, of the gifts, I think we need to add two, at least two other scriptures uh, to uh, look at this morning. One is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, and then the other uh, is Ephesians 4, chapter 4. And what I did was I just uh, put these for you in the, uh, on the back of the bulletin if you want to just uh, use those to look at. But I'm going to, I've read uh, uh, the uh, three verses there from Romans. I'd like to, to read then from 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gift of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. And then verse 28 of, of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And God has appointed in the church... First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And then in Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So you look at these, and, and, and there's a couple of other uh, scripture references that 
some people say may actually be uh, things that include the idea of gifts of the Holy Spirit moving in a unique and special way. Remember the idea of a, of a gift of the Spirit is that it is, is the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit working in someone. It's not just a talent or, or a gift, if you will, in the sense of, of, of uh, or education that you have, but something that God does in a supernatural through his Holy Spirit to bring about his purpose. And so uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, uh, I, I looked there and I thought, you know, we got at least seven gifts in Romans, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, another 13 gifts listed. And Ephesians chapter 4, another 5. And there's some repeats within the framework of that list if you look at it. But at least 20 individual gifts that Paul speaks about in reference to how the Holy Spirit works within the church. And remember that we've already gone through part of, all of this in the sense of, of the reality that it's, it's made really clear by Paul and by, by Peter as well that everyone who comes to the Lord is indwelled by the Holy Spirit when we're saved. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And as we mature and grow in Christ, he will bring about the reality that every one of us has at least one of these gifts. And it's not unusual to see some of these gifts in combination, this type of thing. But people say, well, how will I know? Well, one of the ways I know that you'll, you'll figure it out is by pursuing it in prayer in the sense of, God, open my heart to what it is you want me to do. Be willing to sometimes uh, experiment with some things, saying, well, you know, uh, gosh, they have a need for children's uh, ministry teachers. Maybe I, I, I'll give that a try. You might be surprised as you try how God will use you in a way that you never expected even and, and, and give you insight that you didn't realize uh, could be there and, and how the Holy Spirit might work through you. So various areas of, of gifting that God has put together. And the whole idea was that Paul made clear was that it would work together as a body. If you'll recall, we went through that. Uh, working together as everybody doing their part and in serving the Lord. So we not only commit our talents and our, on our resources and the things that God has given us to his service, but we commit what we don't even know is there yet in the sense that, that, that what God will call us to do. And uh, as soon as you start to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and you start to go into any kind of detail, uh, you're, you're, you're going to open the area for... for for, I'll, I'll be as gentle as I can with the word disagreement at least. Uh, and and I, I, I don't want to use the word division because that's it's not what we're to, supposed to be about. But even sometimes we see division over how we look at the gifts today. What gifts, for instance, are foundational gifts but maybe no longer needed, if any of them? Or what gifts are just, you know, are for today and, and we should be experiencing them and seeing them? Understanding, you know, uh, uh, specific gifts and their use. Prophecy. I mean, we start talking about prophecy. That's a, a difficult one to, to talk about. Uh, tongues. Speaking in tongues. Interpreting the tongues. The things that the scripture says about them. Healing. Miracles. In addition to the idea of teaching and, and administrating, leading, these types of things. Well, I'm going to share with you this thought, and I hope you, 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 you grasp this one thing this morning specifically. I'm not here to resolve 
all the issues about spiritual gifts. First off, because in, in our congregation we have people who come from so many varied backgrounds that you come with things on, on we, we come with ideas and thoughts that, are, that are, are entrenched, and I'll say something like, you know, have you considered, and, and someone will hear, Bob is going Pentecostal <laughs> or something. And uh, I want you to understand that, that what I would like to do and accomplish in the process of going through these is to cause you to look at them, wrestle with them, with these gifts, and, and, and in some areas maybe we'll even have to agree to disagree. And people say, well, how can you do that with the truth of God? Well, some of the things we just don't fully comprehend. We fully can't put it together. And, and, and so we look at it and we say, so, well, if this person, and so I tell people, where do you draw the line about the things that you will not agree to disagree on? You know, in other words, uh, those things that are absolutes. Well, certainly the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is an absolute. There is no room there. Okay, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, and there's uh, issues with our salvation. These areas that are absolutely clear in our scripture, both in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, and in the letters, in such a way that we can't miss it. No, we're going to hang tight to all of those things. We call it a statement of faith. It's a place where we draw that line and say, this is who we are and what we believe. But there are other areas where we just simply have to say uh, we come from two different ideas and thoughts and, and, and ways of looking at something. And as a result, there can be friction at times. Uh, I think of, of the, the friction that existed between John Wesley and, and uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards over salvation and, and security and salvation versus you lose your salvation. And, the thing. and yet they both had things to say about each other's ministries that were positive and encouraging. And they could agree to disagree on areas that, they, that, that were not dealing with the absolute things of that statement of faith where we draw the line in the sand. I've, I've mentioned Stuart Briscoe several times over the years. He's one of the people that I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to hear early on in my, in my walk with Christ. And uh, I will tell you that he and I don't agree on everything, uh, even when, especially even when it comes to spiritual gifts and things. But he has been very powerful to, in, in my background of trying to wrestle with and look at the things that God has given us to build and, and to encourage each other in the church. And he comes up with this phrase. He says, the biggest problem, he says, and this is one of the things that was a, a dilemma in, in, first, in the Corinthian church, was the misuse of gifts. Now, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail with that, but he says the misuse can actually become more of an abuse, abusing the gifts, using them inappropriately, intentionally, you know, just because it's the way you want it to be. And then he says that what that causes is disuse by other people. So he, he goes from misuse to abuse to disuse, meaning some people say, forget it, I'm not going to do any of these because I just don't want to, 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 to get involved in that or, 
or, or to take a risk of misusing a gift, so I won't use it at all. And he points out how wrong that thinking is. It is clear from Paul and what he writes to us that the gifts that, he, that, that God has for us are things that we are to understand and to be able to use. I want to go back to uh, Colossians, or I mean 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, look at the, the, the opening verses. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however, uh, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to there's a variety of gifts in, 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 the, in, in talking about uh, the different gifts that are there and the need for unity. But Paul makes it here. He says, concerning spirit, uh, spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. This idea of uninformed, to, to not know something because of a lack of information or ignorant because you want to be, <laughs> in that sense of, of reluctant or unwilling. Uh, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to understand. The opposite would be the inverse. Is I want you to be informed. I want you to understand. I want you to grab a hold of some truth in reference to spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant. You need to understand some things in order for spiritual gifts to serve their purpose. And this is what Paul's concern is wasn't happening the, the way it was supposed to in the church in Corinth. This idea of, of, of to be un, you know, you know, need to be informed, not uninformed, in verse 2, here's some of the things that we need to understand. And he's talking to non-Jews specifically here at this point. He says, you know when you were pagans, now, what's another word that we frequently use for pagans that, that encompasses everyone that is outside of the promises of God? Gentiles, okay? You were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. He says, once you were Gentiles, you were pagans. I thought, okay, what does he mean here specifically? What, you know, what is he talking about? And in Ephesians chapter 2, we have uh, Paul give a very clear picture of uh, uh, the idea of, 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 of what a Gentile was. In chapter 2, uh, let's see, I, I guess it was verse 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So when Paul says pagan, it means someone separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and, the, and strangers to the covenants of promise, outside of the promises of God, outside of a relationship with, with Christ, separated from him, having no hope, 
in reference to God and eternity, and without God in the world. That's what he's saying when he's saying a pagan. Maybe even a, 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 you know, without Christ, without hope, without God. And even more in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 17 uh, through 19, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds or the emptiness of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, meaning they're blinded. They can't see. They're darkened in their understanding. There's nothing clear. It's like walking into that dark room from the light, you know, in a sense, and all of a sudden you just you can't see anything. Darkened understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And this idea of alienated is to be an enemy, in a sense, with God. Not in a sense, to be an enemy with God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensual, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. Sound familiar? If you look back in the book of Romans chapter 1 and 2, and those same thoughts there. Futile, empty, darkened understanding, enemies of God, hard hearts to God's truth. This is what Paul means when he's talking about a pagan. And so he's pointing out to these people, once this is who you were, and you were led astray. Paul puts it in Romans 1.25, you exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the, create, the, cre, the creature rather than the creator. This idea of being led astray back in 1 Corinthians to mute idols or dumb idols, idols who what? Cannot speak. There is a uh, psalm, uh, Psalm 135, that uh, David writes, and, and he, he speaks about uh, idols. Uh, Verse 15, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. That's what Paul's referring to, basically, when he's saying you've been caught up with idols. You've been led. However you've been led, mis misled is the actual idea there, you've been caught up with, carried away with these idols and the worship of them. And then I, I, verse 18 is really quite interesting. Those who make them become like them. So to all who trust in them. In other words, as they make idols that are, uh, that can't speak, can't really see, can't really hear, he says, you become like that. You can't see, you can't hear, you can't speak the truth of God. It's, it's alien to you. You've got darkened minds. You see how this, uh, you know, this is all tied to this idea of pagans and, and people who had been led and, and, uh, to, to follow the idols. You're blind to the truth and things of God. You're deaf to the things of the Spirit and the voice of God. You are hard-hearted and cold and selfish. 
and you have, I, I took this from a, a kid's play, you have eye trouble. Me, myself, and I trouble. Goes back a few weeks. <laughs> um, the one thing that I thought was interesting is that you become like this. There's another picture in my mind that came, and I'm cautious with how I deal with this, but, you know, there's, there's the, the, the phrase that, that is used by a lot of organizations that are trying to give spiritual help, and they come to people with that idea of God as you know him. And I've heard people use the phrase, it doesn't matter whether it's the tree God, the frog God, it doesn't matter, you know, the, you know whatever it is. And I, and I thought of this scripture, and I thought, so I'll be like a tree or a frog or, you know, you'll become, in other words, the best you can hope for in your, in your, your growth of, as a person is to become like whatever it is you idolize, whatever it is you lift up and put ahead of, of uh, you know, to, to look to for your wisdom, your direction, whatever it is. The best you can hope for is to become, is that you're going to become like that. And that's not very high standard. In fact, if anything, the odds are, if, if you look at it the way Paul's trying to describe it here, it seems to me it's a downhill trend, <laughs> a downhill move. <laughs> because I actually can speak, hear, see, <laughs> and now I'm going to become like my, the, my idols, which can't do any of those things in reference to the truth of, of, of God and this type of thing. So there's another picture that I, I, I was looking at here out of Isaiah chapter 44 that goes with this. I find this chapter in describing the idea of idols really, really almost comical in some ways. Now, just as I read through it, I think you'll catch it. Chapter 9 of verse 44 of Isaiah, or chapter, chapter 44, verse 9 of Isaiah. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witness neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. In other words, there's a day and a point and a time where all those people who have fashioned and made the idols and stuff like that, they are going to stand before the one true God. What's going to happen on that day? There's an absolute scripture that says something's going to happen. You recall? Yeah, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. In other words, there's that, that point of, of judgment and time. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with a strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and he is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of, of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it, and he warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. And he makes a god and worships it, all out of the same log. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. 
Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the, uh, over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. And also warms himself and says, Ah, oh, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten, and I shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? You think, see the amazing picture he's really drawing out of this? He says, here a person says, oh, I need a God to worship. Oh, I've, I've been watching. In fact, he even sets it aside and watches it over, uh, over a series of seasons. He might even prune it to become the perfect log, you know. And, and he says, I need this much for my project, my idol, you know, and, oh, what am I going to do with the rest of it? Well, I'm going to split it and use it to warm me and to cook my food and to think, and then I'll, I'll carve this one over here and worship it. Again, that picture of worshiping the creation, the creature, rather than the creator. There's so many other scriptures that, that deal with these same ideas. Uh, Habakkuk writes, uh, what profit is an idol when a maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For it is a maker uh, trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So what Paul is saying is you people have come out of this background, this idol worship, this pagan way of, of looking at things. And within the framework of that, there is a number of things that they do and incite each other to do in their worship, including weird, strange utterances, ecstatic dancing, even people saying, this is what our God wants us to do, referring to the idols of some priest of a, of a cultish temple, whoever it is that's leading them astray. And Paul's saying, this is who you were. And the suggestion here is that in some ways, this is still clouding their way to look at the things of God. There are some things, I use this, frequent, this picture frequently, on their belief window that's tied to their past that they need to make sure isn't tied to their present in the sense of their worship and their approach to the throne of God. They had the gifts of the Spirit, by the way. They had them uh, fully. I mean, uh, go back to... to, to uh, uh, First Corinthians, 
and, and just look at uh, what he says in the very opening uh, verses of, of chapter 1. Uh, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's, he's saying you've got all the gifts, but somehow there's a problem in the way that you are using them, and we need to address this. Paul never, <laughs> he says, you've got all these gifts. He didn't say, I just want you to stop, disuse. You're abusing them, so just don't use them. He says, no, I need you to understand you can't take your past, your pagan and that kind of stuff, and bring it in here. I believe that they actually were using them, allowing their cultural belief window to influence to a point of misuse and even abuse. Especially the speaking gifts. I mean, let's face it, when you go to chapter 14 and, and, and start talking about the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation and the gift of prophecy, and, and, and Paul very concerned about how these were being used in the Corinthian church. In chapter 6 of Romans, Paul lists prophecy as the first gift of his list there. Not necessarily because it has a, you know, people say first was the, the, the apostles, then prophecy, then When you see that, it doesn't mean that those are more important gifts. There's not a ranking necessarily. In fact, when you look at the list, they're not in the same order all the time. <laughs> so we're not concerned about which is the, the gift that everybody needs to have as much as what the Holy Spirit chooses to give. Remember, that's the, the, the whole emphasis that Paul has been making and we've been making up to this point. Who decides the gifts and their distribution? The Holy Spirit does. And he says, not all have this gift, not all have this gift, and he includes the speaking gifts in those pictures. So the first one that we're going to look at is prophecy but not this morning. Uh, did it really take that long to get here? Uh, next week. But read the scriptures. Read, about, uh, read through uh, 1 Corinthians chapters uh, 12, 13, and 14. Uh, read you know, and see uh, how Paul talks about them and, and, and try to do it with just saying, what is Paul saying here? And, 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 and looking at it from that perspective. Actually, this would be a good point to come into communion because we wouldn't even be talking about spiritual gifts without the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Every believer from the point of salvation. And we wouldn't be talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because he said, unless I do this, you won't have the Holy Spirit. Without his sacrifice, 
we wouldn't be talking about this. God's gift of His only Son is why we are here. Wrestling with some of the ideas of His Word that maybe aren't crystal clear to us. And, and part of it, I want you to understand, is that there is a tendency to want to, and, and, and this is, tends to be me to a degree. If I could just find the right balance of things and the, the very, the right middle spot, you know, and everybody's happy as we talk about these things. But in the process of doing that, I may become unbalanced in the Word of God. And I, I, I was reading uh, an article a few months ago that I, I read a couple of times again since, and that is, I really don't want balance. I want everything that God's got for me. And it reminds me of a story. Some of you have heard me tell this before. I'm so careful when I do this. You know that any story somebody tells about heaven that starts out with, a man went to heaven and, he's, and the angel was showing him around. You already know that we're talking very metaphorically, you know, you know, uh, hypothetically type of thing. It's not the way it really is, you know, but, but the idea was is that guys, this man comes into heaven and, and, and the angel's showing him around or, and, and he looks over and he sees this one building over to the side and he says, what's in there? And the angel says, you don't want to know. Oh. Later on, again, you know, that's, you know, the, he's even giving us, the story even gives us human nature of the fallen sense, of, you know, so this is not accurate. But the idea was is that, you know, I want to know what's in there. Finally, the angel says, okay, everybody has to see this. And he goes in, and all these, these drawers, like going into the old-fashioned library where you found all the index cards and stuff like that. And he found, he said, oh, they have people's names on it. He says, do I have one here? Yes, you do. He opens it, finally gets to his, and he opens it up, and he looks in, and he sees all the blessings he had missed because he, for lack of better words, played it safe. He didn't seek everything that God had for him. And he says, oh, my. Now, I know that's just a story. Don't put anything more to it than that. But I will tell you, if you don't want all your blessings, I'll take them. Well, uh, I'm one of, I, I have to confess to you, I'm one of the most blessed people I know. And it's not because of anything other than that. I just, I, I see all that God has given me and done for me. And, and I'm so amazed. And it's all because of the gift that he gave us, his son. And I just, I don't, I honestly, I, I find myself realizing I don't want to miss anything that he's got for me. So I'm hoping as we go through all of this, that this will be the same thing for you. You don't want to miss what God has for you. I'd ask the ushers to come forward to uh, pass out the communion emblems until we've all been served, and then we'll, we'll share together.
Interesting that in the Corinthian church they even had a problem doing communion right. And Paul addresses them some specifics about communion. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul continues, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What Paul was trying to make sure they understood was the focus of communion. 
the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, the sacrifice and the grace that he's poured out in our lives that he has purchased to be with him forever. Father, we thank you as we come to your word. The one thing that we can't miss is the reality of how much you love us. When we read such a common scripture that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, we realize as much as possible the awesome gift that you've given us, the reality that we will never know the destruction, the penalty, the judgment of our sins because you have taken it for us. Thank you. Lord, we worship you. We, we ask, Lord, that as we seek your face, that you indeed would open our eyes to the things that you would call us to do for you. And knowing, Lord, that there isn't anything that you call us to that you will not give us the resources and empower us to do. And we ask, Lord, that uh, as we do, that we would be willing vessels. Cause us to be filled with your spirit constantly. You tell us that we should be being filled continually. We bring that before you and ask you, Lord, to even put that desire in us to desire that and to want it, Lord. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you are to us, all that you've done for us, all that is yet to come. In Jesus' name.